Today we begin a brand new series called A God-Lived Life. Not the good life, a God-lived life. Although I suppose if we say a God-lived life, it it is a good life. If we're living a God-lived life, it is the good life. But what we're focusing on for the next three weeks is how we are Christians. How Jesus, God himself, the God of this world, left heaven to become a man to live the perfect God-lived life so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. So that you and I are now Christians. Little Christ. And as little Christ, we have the amazing privilege, the amazing honor to represent Jesus in our communities. Both where we live, both our church community, our school community, our work community, every community that we are a part of, we get to represent Jesus. Right now, if you're an Olympic fan, you know that the Olympics are going on. Even if you're not watching, you probably know the Olympics are going on. And every Olympic athlete, just about every Olympic athlete, says what an honor and privilege it is to represent the country that I'm playing for, that I'm participating for. How much more for you and I, who get to represent the God of this world, who get to represent Jesus, the one who loves us, forgives us, has won eternal life for us. You and I get to represent him in this world. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at uh, a couple different sections of Scripture that are going to challenge us in how we're representing him in our communities. We're going to see hospitality. We're going to live a God-lived life of hospitality. We're going to live a God-lived life of generosity. And today we're going to focus on a God-lived life of service. So the question we want to ask today, if we're living a God-lived life of service, a life of service to whom? Who are we serving? Jesus was asked that almost exact same question in Luke chapter 10, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Luke was a not an apostle. Luke was originally a doctor uh, who lived around uh, 30 A.D. And around 40 A.D., he started to follow Paul on his missionary journeys, the apostle Paul. So Luke became a Christian, left the life of being a doctor, and started following Paul on his missionary journeys to tell other people about Jesus and to start churches in the known world. And as he's going along, he's realizing that there's a lot of people who are writing about Jesus. And so Luke says, you know what? I'm going to write an account about Jesus, and I'm not just going to write an account of what I know. I'm going to interview everyone who, is, who knew him. And so he starts interviewing people, and he writes, under God's inspiration, the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the four books of the Bible that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they deal with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And in Luke chapter 10... Jesus is talking with a man who wants to know, who do I have to serve? And so let's jump in. We're in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So who's this guy that Jesus is talking to? We're told he's an expert in the law. He's a lawyer, you could say, but he's not a lawyer of the Roman law. He's not even a law of civil law. He's an expert in the Old Testament law, the Jewish law. And the law was the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, is where all of the Jewish laws were written, and he was an expert in them. And there were a lot of experts in the Old Testament law. And what these experts knew was God's law, in and out. What they missed in studying the law was the grace of God that was found in those first five books of the Bible. The law they knew. And so this expert in the law stands up to test Jesus, who's also a teacher, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers the man beautifully. He, he doesn't answer the question. He asks the question and says, well, what's the law say? How do you read it? And the man says what the Old Testament says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, bingo. You nailed it. You do this, and you will have eternal life. And it's true. If people love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and love their neighbor as themselves, that is a viable option to eternal life. The problem? Nobody on the face of the planet has ever done that perfectly, except for Jesus. So while it's a viable option, no one can actually do it. And so this expert in the law knows this deep down, how hard that is to do, and so he wants to justify himself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love and serve? And for that, Jesus tells this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the side of the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus' story has a man, Jewish man, traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and on his way to Jericho, He gets jumped by robbers. They beat him, steal all his stuff, and leave him half dead on the side of the road. Now imagine you're that man 
half dead on the side of the road. Today, we would want a paramedic or a police officer to stop and, and help us. But in those days, there, there, wasn't, there weren't police officers and there weren't paramedics. So, assuming there's not, none of those, what kind of person would you want to walk by when you're half dead, beaten on the side of the road? I think we'd want a pastor or a, some kind of church staff member to walk by because they're nice. They're supposed to be nice and loving, right? And that's exactly what happens in Jesus' story. The Jewish man is laying half dead on the side of the road, and who walks by? A priest. You talk about good fortune. Except the priest walks by on the other side. And then a Levite walks by. A Levite was a church staff member. He, he assisted, he was a temple assistant for the priest. Also, what good fortune. Not only did a priest walk by, but now a Levite. And yet he walks by on the other side. But then a Samaritan man walks by. And it's the Samaritan who sees the man, takes pity on the man, empathizes with the man, and he stops. He pours oil and wine on the man's wounds, bandaging them, taking care of him, puts him up on his own uh, donkey, walks him to an inn, takes care of him through the night, restoring and reviving his health, and then in the morning takes out two denarii, two days' worth of wages, and gives it to the innkeeper and says, take care of this man, and if you have any extra expenses, I will pay for those when I return. Wow. Do you know what the most shocking part of this story was for that Jewish expert in the law? It wasn't that the priest walked by. It wasn't that the Levite walked by. It was that a Samaritan man stopped to help the Jewish man. First century Israel, first century Middle East, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Background to that is that the Jews, when, when they came into the Holy Land, into the Middle East, God instructed them not to marry, intermarry with foreign nations. It wasn't because God hated foreign nations. It was because God knew that if they did, those foreign nations would introduce idol worship into the Israelites and lead the Israelites astray. Most of the Jews stayed marrying within the Jewish nation. But there was a pocket of the Jewish nation that intermarried with the nations, and they became known as Samaritans. The Jews, by the way, they married foreigners, and idol worship did come in and led the people away from God. God was right. Jew, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, calling them half-breeds, dogs, as a lower-class citizen. The Samaritans looked down on the Jews as prideful and arrogant and, and close-minded. And there was hatred between the two countries. There's hatred between the two races. And so Jesus has a story, and who's the good guy? The Samaritan. Completely shocking for this man that a Samaritan would stop and help a Jewish man. But see, what Jesus did with this story was he completely flipped the man's question. 
The man wanted to know, who is it that I have to help? Jesus said, don't worry about who you have to help. Just worry about being helpful. Don't worry about who you have to serve. Just worry about serving whoever needs help. You see, Jesus' point with this story is that if we're going to live a God-lived life of service, it's your first point today. A God-lived life of service lives a life of service to everyone. And that's what we see with the Samaritan. It didn't matter that this man, laying on the side of the road, probably talked negatively about his race. It didn't matter that this Jewish man laying on the side of the road wouldn't probably help him if he was in need. It didn't matter how hateful this man was. It didn't matter what this man did. It didn't matter what he did to get himself in the situation. It didn't matter who he was. Because the Samaritan man helps. That's what his attitude was. It didn't matter who he was. It mattered who he was. And he was a godly helper. And that's the point Jesus wants us to take home. When it comes to a godly, God-lived life of service, we live a life of service to everyone because it doesn't matter who they are, it only matters who I am. And what has Jesus made you and me? Christians. He made, he's made us little Christs as he's washed us clean of our sins. As we stand forgiven, knowing that our eternal life is ours through Jesus. Jesus has made us little Christians, and now we are only concerned about who we are. And we're little Christians. It doesn't matter who they are when it comes to a life of service. When it comes to a life of service, I'm a loving, helpful neighbor who serves and serves everyone. What does this look like practically? Because we can sit here and say, amen, right? Yes, absolutely. But that means... We love and help and serve the anti-vaxxers and vaxxers, the anti-masks and masks, the Democrats, the Republicans, the HOA, the community, everyone. It doesn't matter who it is. The person who betrayed me, the person who said negative things about my family, the person who criticized my church and my school that I love so dearly, the person who bullied my kid, it doesn't matter who they are. All that matters is who God has made me. And I'm a little Christ. And that means I'm only concerned with being a helpful neighbor. I love, I help, and I serve everyone. It doesn't matter who it is. And for the priest and the Levite, it's shocking in the story that they wouldn't stop and help one of their own, isn't it? You're a Jewish priest, you're a Jewish Levite, and here's a Jewish man laying on the side of the road half dead. Why aren't you stopping to help? Well, why not? Jesus doesn't tell us in the story, but let's play out some situations. Because I think we can easily think of plenty of excuses not to stop, right? Number one, this could get messy. 
this guy was beaten up, and who knows what he was into. Quite frankly, maybe he deserved it. Uh, maybe he's involved in some mob-like activity, and he crossed the line, and, well, this is your natural consequence. And if I get involved, wow, this could get messy. I could become an accomplice. If they stop and help, what if the guys who did this to him are still around and are waiting for me to stop and they're going to jump me? I better just pass on by. Maybe they pass by thinking, you know what? I'm a really busy guy. The temple needs me. And if I don't get there quickly, things are going to start stacking up. I'll let someone else do it who's got more time. You know what? If I stop and help, I'm probably going to have to pour resources into this guy. And I'm a little tight right now, so I'll let somebody else who has more resources. You know what? I could help and stop, but I know there are people who are more gifted in this area than I am. I'll pass by and let them do it. All of those are self-justifying what? Selfishness, isn't it? They're masking their selfishness. But as Christians, it doesn't matter who it is. All that matters is who I am. And I'm a little Christ. There's a story of a first grade teacher who asked her, her class, how, how, do, how are you helpful at home? What do you do to help out? Trisha raised her hand and said, I feed my dog. Michael raised his hand and said, I sweep the floors. Timmy raised his hand and said, I dry off the dishes after my dad washes the dishes. And everyone in the class had something to share except for little Billy sitting way in the back. And after everyone shared, the teacher said, Billy, what do you do to help out at home? And Billy got a big old smile on his face and said, I get out of the way. Sometimes we justify our actions by thinking, I'm going to get out of the way and convince ourselves that that's actually being helpful and serving. I'm going to get out of the way so they can do that. I'm going to get out of the way because I just make a mess of things. I get out of the way because someone else can serve that person better. But Jesus completely flips the story and says it doesn't matter who they are. As Christians, we serve. As Christians, we don't self-justify. As Christians, it's all about serving others. It doesn't matter who they are. We stop and we serve them because we are little Christ's, little Jesus's in our communities. You know, it's at this point, as I was preparing for today, uh, that I started to realize I, I wasn't who I thought I was in this story. You know, as you read Scripture, we're encouraged to put ourselves into Scripture, to identify with a character. And as I opened up to Luke chapter 10, I was like, well, of course I'm the Good Samaritan. Like a good neighbor, Stephen Apt is there. Uh, I, am the, I am the Good Samaritan. And then suddenly, as, as you're working through this, all of a sudden, what hits me? I'm more like the priest and the Levite. 
I do such a good job at self-justifying my lack of service to others and convincing myself that it's actually good excuses. That I pass by on the other side so often that it hurts. And then I start identifying with someone else in the story. I start identifying with the man laying half dead on the side of the road. Not physically, but spiritually. My soul, my heart hurts as sin tears my heart open as guilt weighs on me and Satan just plagues me as I realize my life of service is nothing. I do more self-justifying than actual serving. And it hurts. But that's the key to the other aspect of a a God-lived life of service. What you and I need to do every single day is your second point. A God-lived life of service is healed by Jesus. You see, the Good Samaritan reminds you and me of who? Jesus. The Good Samaritan. Think about this Good Samaritan. What's he do? He stops and has pity on the man who's beaten up, wounded. He gives up his resources for the man. He puts his life in danger for the man. He takes care of the man, restoring and reviving the man. And he promises that he's going to come back and pay for any extra expenses. And isn't that what our Savior Jesus does for you and me? Our Savior Jesus saw you and me beaten, left on the side of the road by sin, by guilt, by the devil. And he didn't pass by on the other side of the road. He didn't say it'd get too messy. No, he got involved to serve you and me. And he came to this world where he literally put his life in danger to the point of dying on the cross so that he can come to you and me with the healing balm of his words, forgiven. Where he can come to you and me and say, your God-lived life of service is complete because I did it for you. Where he can come with the message of love and acceptance by God, not because of how well we carry out service, but because Jesus, our Savior, carried out the perfect God-lived life of service for you and for me. And he comes back to us every day. Every day. To heal those wounds that get ripped open. As he comes and he he says, here, let me heal you. Let me revive you. Let me restore you. You're forgiven. It's finished. Forgiven and loved by God. And it restores our, our health. It restores our souls. It revives our souls. And he comes and he says, let me love you. Let me have compassion on you. Let me forgive you again and again and again. As we live this God-lived life of service, we need to constantly come back to our Savior Jesus and hear the words of forgiveness, to hear how he's completed everything, to hear how he restores our souls because we'll get beaten up. And it's only through our Savior Jesus that we have forgiveness and that we are healed. And that's what he's done for you and for me. A God-lived life of service serves everyone, but it also needs to be healed every day by our Savior, Savior Jesus and the love and forgiveness that he has for us. Because it's only when our Savior Jesus loves us, forgives us, restores us, heals us, 
that then we can be sent back out to serve. We started today by asking, who is it that we serve? Not only do we serve others, but ultimately when we serve others, we serve our Savior Jesus, who loves us, forgives us, and restores us. And that's your last point today. A God-lived life of service thanks, a God-lived life thanks Jesus by serving others. The reason we want to serve others completely changes. The motivation completely changes. Once I see what my Savior has done for me, how he loves and serves me in every single way and he forgives me every day, I want to live for him. I want to thank him, to glorify him, to praise him. And I do that by serving others. And so as I go out and I serve others in my community, as I serve others at church, I'm thanking and praising and glorifying my Savior Jesus and living a life of service for him. And so, let's just take a few examples here at church. It seems like small things, but as you're holding that outside door for people on Sunday morning, the outside greeter, and you greet them with a big smile, and you serve people by opening that door and say good morning to them, you are thanking and praising and serving Jesus as you serve them. Why? Because you are their first impression of Jesus walking into this church. And to greet them with a big smile, and a warm welcome. You're representing your Savior Jesus. For those that work at the inside table here, you greet people and explain people with a big smile as you represent Jesus glorifying and you serve them by explaining the worship folder, explaining the, what's going on at the table, all the sign-in, the connect card, as you explain how everything is laid out. You serve Jesus by serving them. For those who click back, Ben, Dan over here this morning, as you click through the slides, you're not just clicking a button. You're providing people the opportunity to worship their Savior Jesus. You are serving people who get to follow along on the service, praising Jesus. For DS Kids leaders, you're not just providing child care during the sermon. You are serving children as you pray, and you're serving your Savior Jesus as you bring the message of Jesus to little kids who learn about their Savior, who heals them. In every aspect of service that we do, whether it's at church or out in our communities, we thank and we praise and we serve our Savior Jesus as we praise and thank and serve others. We don't worry about who we're serving. We worry about who we are and who we are, a little Christ to our community. It's all about being the loving, helpful, serving neighbor. And that's what our Savior Jesus has done for us, and that's who he's made us. May God be with us as we live a life of service, thanking, praising, serving our Savior who serves us every day. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you love and serve us every single day. You heal us, you restore us, you revive our souls with the message of your forgiveness and your message of love. We thank you for forgiving our sins uh, as you paid for them on the cross. It's through your shed blood that we are healed, not just now, but for eternity. We thank you for removing our guilt and our shame. We thank you for assuring us that eternal life has been won, not through our life of service, but through your life of service. We thank you for conquering sin and death. And now as we stand firm in that forgiveness, confident in that forgiveness, 
Help us to live a life of service as we glorify you. We ask that you help us to not be worried about who we're serving, but simply be concerned about who we are. And we are little Christ to our communities. Let us represent you uh, today and always uh, so that other people may be attracted to our Savior who serves and loves them as well. We ask all this in your name. Amen.